Good morning. Hope you're doing well. We are <clears throat> reading through the Bible together this year, and we're calling it, res- uh, calling it The Journey. In this particular month, we're doing something called Resonating Hills, hence the uh, video of hills. Um, each month, we are reading four different selections from the Bible, and we pick one of those four, and as we pick one of those four, we study that particular book for the month. If you want one of those Bible or one of those books, they're called The Journey. They're free right back there on the table. It's just a Bible reading program uh, for the church to read through. Last w- month, we were doing Mark, and now we're moving into uh, the Psalms. We're actually back in the Psalms. We began the, the, the year of doing the, vi- the very beginning of the Psalms, and now we're moving into the, the middle Psalms. So if you have a Bible, you can open up Psalm 96. That's what this little particular series is, these, these Psalms <clears throat> that are in the middle that talk about worship, that, that declare uh, a lot more, uh, I guess, glory and, and things like that. Comparative, comparatively, all the Psalms do that, but that, that's the psalm that we're going to be in in 96. These are, these are more worship-oriented psalms, although they all are. The psalms in the Old Testament is just a collection of the hymn book of the songs of the Hebrews. And so we are going to be looking at that over the next month. As we get into June, we'll go into the Kings, First and Second Kings. Um, and I think that's called the Royal Lands. So it always has something to do with a map. That's why this is the hills. So resounding hills, the hills are resounding. Um, we're not going to do the... the the sound of music or anything. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to pray, and we're going to uh, we're going to jump in. I want to read one little. Uh, we're going to read Psalm 96 in its entirety in just a second. But I want to read one little section of Psalm 96 before we pray, and it'll kind of be for us uh, the introduction of what we want to pray that would happen, not just in this sermon, but in our lives. In Psalm 96, in verse 11, it says, Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then all the trees of the forest, let all the trees, then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. Let's pray. Lord, um, we know in Romans 8, all creation is groaning inwardly as we eagerly await the redemption. Um, that creation is eagerly waiting its redemption just like we are. And then one day, in the new heavens and the earth, this will happen. The seas will roar. All that fills it, the fields will exult. The trees will give you glory. All of creation, God, will give you glory, as will we in our, <clears throat> in our final glorified state as we are in the new heavens and the earth with you. We'll no longer give half-hearted worship to you, but with all of creation, we will sing out to you and give you all the glory that you're finally due from us. And so, Lord, I pray for this morning that it would begin this process, that though we already are as believers seeking after you, and for those that may not know you now, may not believe in Christ, that they'll become believers today. And that we would see who you are in the scriptures. And we will see that all other gods, little g, that we try to worship are worthless in in comparison to you. As the text tells us this morning. Be with me now, Lord. I pray that you would speak through me. And that uh, all that I say will be from Christ. Anything, Lord, that I have prepared that's not helpful for everyone here. Would you keep me from saying it? And Lord, I just pray for us all, that the Spirit would come and move. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm likely going to cough, just as a heads up, throughout this. Um, it happened first service. I feel it like brewing right now. So let's read Psalm 96, and then we'll jump in. Uh, we're going to look at all, <coughs> all the verses, and then we'll, we'll jump into Psalm 96. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord, Yahweh, made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. 
Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. One thing you should know as we look at Psalm 96 is that Jesus Christ is the key and the goal of this psalm. The psalm's not complete without Christ. And so we are starting with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and ascension into heaven and his ruling and reigning in heaven and what he's done for us and he's our king and we're looking back at the psalm and seeing that all of this is ultimately fulfilled in the person and work of Christ for us. And so there are really two themes that kind of jump out at Psalm 96. And what we're going to do is take those two themes, we're going to break them apart, we're going to look at each one of them and then after we look at each one of them, we'll put them back together as a, as a, by means of conclusion at the end. But the first the first theme I want you to see is um, the psalmist's emphasis on the nations. That this particular psalm over and over is emphasizing for us the nations. You can see it in verse 3, declare, to, declare his glory among the nations. Verse 10, say among the nations. You can see it and even in verse 1, sing to the Lord all the earth. <clears throat> and it tells us all the peoples of the earth. In verse 3, his marvelous work, declares marvelous works among all the peoples. Verse 5, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. So over and over in this particular psalm, there's an emphasis on the nations. And so let's, for uh, everyone, let's go ahead and make sure we understand what we mean when we talk about the nations. <coughs> Excuse me. Whenever we first started the church six years ago, every single week... Um, it's a little bit different now, but every single week at the very end of the service, we would pray for an unreached people group. We'd have a picture up on here, um, and every week we'd pray for an unreached people group. I went to a church planning conference or something or another uh, a couple of years in, and somebody said, hey, you know the way that you can help the church understand that you're trying not to be in competition with other churches, but you want to join with them, that you should pray for local churches. And then a couple of years in, we went to an, an every other kind of week where Every week we, we pray for an unreached people group and then the second week we pray for a local church. And then as we've gone throughout the year, we've, we've started even doing more and more than that. So now every other week we pray for something international. We pray for an unreached people group and then we pray for the unreached people group that Remedy is trying to reach specifically. And then we pray for local churches and the other local thing is we pray for the Remedy's emphasis that we're trying to reach at the Winthrop campus, whether it be students, faculty, staff, etc. But my whole point to saying all that is since the very beginning, I've always deeply desired that we as a remedy, uh, we as Remedy Church would have a deep desire to want to understand that the Lord has called us to the nations, that he wants us to reach the nations. And so when we say nations, and I've been trying to put the unreached people groups over and over, people that don't look like us, that don't talk like, talk like us, over and over in front of us so that we would see God wants me as a believer in Jesus to realize that everybody that's a Christian is an international missionary. Everybody. So you may never leave the, the, the country ever, but every one of us are either to go, to send, to pray, or be disobedient. Those are our options. We're not going to do anything else besides that. And so every single one of us is an international missionary. Therefore, we must go, send, pray, and likely even send money. Or we're disobedient. And so because we're all called to be international missionaries, and we see here there's an emphasis on the nations, I thought I would explain what I mean by nations. When we talk about nations, we shouldn't think of nation states. In the Bible, when he talks about reaching the nations and all the peoples, he's not referring to nation states like, you know, United States and Canada, etc., etc. Instead, he's talking about, when he talks about the nations, he's talking about people groups or ethnic groups. Um, so I went on joshuaproject.net and I downloaded the latest statistics so we could see this particular website, joshuaproject.net, keeps a, a running tally of people groups in the world because the Lord is interested in reaching all the ethnic groups of the world. And so here's the latest tally. And we know in Matthew 24, 14, it says this gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all the ethne, all the ethnic groups, and then the end will come. So the new heavens and the new earth will be ushered in by a final reaching of all the ethnic groups. And so 
that means we as a Christians have a definite task. What's our task? Making disciples? Yes. And make disciples of whom? All the ethne. So we have a very specific, understandable, very easy to comprehend task. We as the church are to reach all the ethne. This doesn't discount reaching your neighbor. You're not like going up to your neighbor, sorry, you're white, don't want to reach you. you know, of course, you want to reach everybody that's not a Christian. But I say white because look around. You know, We've got Ruth, she's Japanese, but other than that, we're all white. Um, and so we realize that we're supposed to reach the ethne. We're supposed to reach all the ethnic groups. Now I'm going to get to the good news of what that looks like um, here in America in 2015 soon. But this is what I mean Here's the latest stats. If you were to count all the people groups across countries, you would have about 9,701 people groups. If you were to take those and spread them out by country, in other words, uh, we pray for the Itani um, every once in a while, uh, and the Itani is it's a pseudonym, but that, the Itani and the Horn of Africa are really spreading across three different, people, uh, three different countries. So that pick your people group is counted the Itani of this country, the Itani of this country, and the Itani of this country. And that's, that's very common. So there's people groups that are thousands of years old that have migrated around. And so some of them are in lots of different countries. And so if we were to count them all up that way, uh, counting every group once for each country in which they reside, there are 16,130. Either way, this is what it boils down to. The world is made up of roughly 9,701 people groups, and that's made up of 7.1 billion people. There's 7.1 billion people made up of roughly 9,701 people groups. This means, if we want to take Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all the 7,901 particular ethnic groups, and then the end will come. All right? So we have our task. We understand what that means. Every ethnic group. We're just one. This, this is one ethnic group. Um, and we keep moving un- forward. So we know that there's unreached. The gospel of the kingdom has to be preached to all the ethnic groups. So that means some are reached and some are not. Out of the 9,701, there are 3,977 unreached. So roughly 4,000 unreached. If we were to look at all of it, out of the 16,000, that's about 6,500. So what that means people-wise is out of the 7.1 billion people, 3 billion of the people are unreached. When we say unreached, we mean no access to the gospel. No comprehension of who Jesus is. Never heard of Jesus. They don't, we are saturated with the gospel. And that's a gift. I mean, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. That's, that's the Lord's gracious sovereignty that we have it. However, almost half of the country or the world and it's actually 40%. It says it's that it's 40% of the world has never heard of Jesus. It's not that they've rejected him. The 40% that have never heard of Jesus, that doesn't mean the other 60% has heard of Jesus and gladly responded by trusting Jesus. That's not the case. We're just saying 60% has heard of Jesus. 40% have never heard of Christ. It's astonishing with the internet and the way the world has shrunk, gotten a lot smaller that still 40% of the world, if you were to go tell them about Jesus, they would say, who's, who's Jesus? They have no idea that there's this man, the Messiah, came to the earth to, uh, 2,000 years ago and bore all the wrath of God, of the Father, for us. And if we trust in him, we can be forgiven of all our sin and be forgiven forever. So God, in Psalm 96, the theme here is one of the themes is the nations. God is interested in all the ethnic groups of the world coming to him. All, so when you hear me say nations, nations, peoples, hear ethnic groups. Hear that there are 3 billion people, 4,000 people groups that don't know Christ. And if you were to pick a people group, some of them are made up of 1,000 to 100,000 people. Some of those people groups can go up to 15 million each people group has different population sizes. So this means, as we look at this psalm, we want to think of ethnic groups like the Oromo in Ethiopia, the Nwinki in Russia, the Hausi in Algeria. I went to joshuaproject.net and I did a quick scan um, and got, got some names of what we're talking about. The Hassau in Algeria, the, the Amak in Afghanistan, the Hatkar in India, the Lao Krang in Thailand, the Belatong in Indonesia, the Orang Kanag in Malaysia, and of course... The Hitani in the Horn of Africa. And I could go on and on and on for 9,000 
700 total or for 4,000. I could read 4,000 names. This is what we want to think of. People you've probably never seen or heard of. Because in heaven, there will be a representative from every single... The whole people group won't be saved. But there will be representatives of every single people group in heaven. I mean, this is amazing. Just such amazing diversity in heaven that every people group will be represented as, I call them, trophies of God's grace that's been displayed in every people group and every tribe and every tongue and every nation. So, since there's an emphasis or a theme of the nations, when we look at this, then there's something I want you to see. Inside this psalm, in this particular theme of the nations, there are three things that every Christian should be involved with when it comes to the nations. Straight out of this psalm. Certainly you could come up with more than three, but inside this psalm there are three. Three things that every Christian should be involved with when it comes to the nations. Number one is this. You can see this in the text. Christians are to declare the glory of God to the nations. You can see that in these particular texts. Verse 2. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Here it is. This is... Part of what does it mean to declare the glory of God? This means that we, as believers, narrate to all the ethnic groups what the Lord has done for us. Where it says, tell of his salvation from day to day. So, obviously, there's an everyday sequence. It's not week to week or year to year or month to month. It's day to day. Christians are to narrate all the salvation, all the good things, all, all the glory of God to the people. Tell of his salvation to, for, to the nations from day to day. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations. Tell of his marvelous works among the peoples. We as believers are to tell the works of God. Tell them about the glory of God. Tell them about the salvation that we have received. We're declaring. This is a narrative statement. These are the things that we're supposed to do. You can see it also in verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. This means every nook and every cranny and every corner of the entire earth. We are to go and we are to declare, narrate to them. God declared this. God saves. Everything's for God's glory. We want you to know who he is. He reigns in this particular corner here in Malaysia. He reigns in this particular corner up here in Siberia. He reigns in this particular corner down here in the outback of, of Australia. And every particular nook and cranny of everywhere in the world, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. It says, um, John Calvin says that the psalmist here is speaking of God's kingdom extending, extending to every single part of the world. And God reigns over everything. Abraham Kuyper says it this way. I love this. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! Everywhere. And we are to go to every square inch and to tell them, or as it says here in number one, Declare the glory of God to the nations. Declaring the glory of God means tell of his marvelous works that he's done. God created this. We're supposed to tell them. Look around. You see the sky, the trees, every, all of creation, how beautiful it is? God made this. God saved me. We're to declare of our salvation. Now, that's the first thing. And you have to know where I'm going. We don't just narrate of the works of God whenever we go to the nations. It's not just like, this is what all God did. Just wanted you to know. You know, we don't, that's not how it goes. Obviously, there's a second piece to this. And you can see it right here. The second thing that, the, that Christians are to do in our involvement in the nations is this. Christians are to call the nations to join us in worship. To join us. The, the psalmist here is stating it in a certain way. In other words, as we tell them of the glory of God, we tell him what, we, what he's done. When we call them, we don't just say, so be like us and escape hell and trust in Jesus. Instead, we say, God has called me to be a worshiper. You're a worshiper. It's just misplaced. As it says in verse 5, you worship worth, worthless idols. You worship little case G. Everything that anybody worships that's not Jesus is worthless. It's pointless. It will, it will result in damnation forever. Instead, trust in Christ, the only true God, the only way for salvation, the only one who's worthy of worship. And if you do that, then you will be saved forever. So we're, as we narrate the great deeds of God, we also call them to become worshipers. Not just saved, not just put your faith in Jesus and don't go to, he go to hell, but instead, we want to call them to Christ and summon them to come 
with us. And as it says in verse 7, ascribe glory to the Lord. Come over here with us and sing praises to the Lord. Ascribe the glory to God. Calvin says, interestingly enough, as we're doing this, as you see in verse 1, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Now, this is in the Old Testament. The Gentiles weren't engrafted into the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, this is an, an, a command, we would think, to Israel, the people of God. You've got all the other people that God doesn't really deal with so much so, as much as just Israel. And in this particular psalm, it's not just a declaration to Israel to sing to him. It says, Calvin says, this is not an exhortation only directed to the Jews, but to all nations. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. So we are to go to them, declare what he's done, and call them to come now and sing to the Lord all the earth. All those, all the nations are supposed to come and ascribe, look what it says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. That's every ethnic group. Come and join with us in worshiping the true God. I remember when I was in seminary, um, my very first semester that I was in seminary, I took a class, a missions class, and you've got, you know, you've got several personalities of students in seminary. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. There's, there's people like me who are just kind of laid back and cool. And then there's, I'm just kidding. But then you've got, seminary just has an interesting array of personalities. You know, people that um, I don't even know how to talk to, you know. But we all love Jesus. And then there's the real cool ones, they're the worship leaders. And you're like, hey, you're, I don't even know how to talk to you either. So I was kind of in the middle of talking to no one, I guess. But my point is this, way off track. Seminary, first class. First, one of the first books we had to read, I, I took a missions class. And so we were given this book by John Piper called um, Let the Nations Be Glad. This is the book. And this is, you know, he's written books on everything from fasting to worship, etc. But he's got a book on international missions. And most of us, after we read it, we came to class and people were like, what'd you think? And we had people, well, after I read like the first paragraph, I had to put it down and, and like for a couple of days, go think about the first paragraph because I didn't know if I agreed with the first paragraph. Um, this is how the book opens. Because we're calling people to be worshipers. Most of us think that, especially the worship leaders love this sentence. The, the international missions, you know, that you're there. I'm going to be a missionary forever. Mission's the most important thing. Going to the 1040 window. Going to give my life for Christ forever and ever. And this is what he says. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. So the international missionaries that are studying here, worship is ultimate, not missions. And they're looking over at the worship leaders like, don't, don't get all happy. Um, so he says, this is where it gets interesting though. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Worship is more ultimate than missions. And this is what he says. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of redeemed of the ethnic groups fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. So one day, missions will cease but worship never does. Worship never sees. There's, there's not one person in heaven you can evangelize. They already know. So, when we hear this, it kind of stopped us all and, and made us think, whoa, okay, if I really love worship, and we're calling people to be worshipers, and as a believer, I really, really believe I'm supposed to worship the Lord. Well, you can't Sing to the Lord. Bless the Lord on my soul. I worship you in your splendor. I worship you in your majesty. I worship, worship, and not have a care about the nations. All worshiping Christians must have a care, a deep desire for the nations. Those things don't go together, or, or don't not go together. Christians have to care about the nations. If you wonder, if you've been clamoring about in your Christian life, and you've had this restlessness continually. I always feel like there's something else I'm supposed to be doing. I just don't feel like I'm living out the Christian life like I'm supposed to. It's because the Lord has created you to have a deep desire for the nations. And there will be, I think, an abiding sickness in your heart until you start making disciples of all the nations. We're all supposed to reach the nations. Now, there's good news to how we can do it. If you're like, I'm never leaving the states. I'm never leaving South Carolina, Fud. Um, I've got good news in just a second. I'll get to it at the end. 
So I'm not saying everybody has to go live in the 1040 window. If you've never even heard of the 1040 window, um, I'm not saying you have to go. Maybe you will. But the Lord is clear here that we are supposed to do international missions. We're supposed to have a deep desire that all the ethnic groups come to know Christ. That's why it says that Christians are to call the nations to join and worship them. And you can't call the nations to join and worship in Christ if you're not around the nations. You, you can't just live your life constantly around everybody that looks and talks like you. So, it says in verse 9, tremble before him. That's literally in verse 9b. Tremble before his face, all the earth. This is, this is God calling all the nations to beg. He's begging them to come before the face of God and prostrate themselves, pleading with him that he would be generous to them and consider the Lord's shocking majesty that he has, then all the nations of all the people groups of all the earth are called to come and do this. Now, as I've said, all Christians who love worship, who don't do international missions, there's a disconnect. You can't do one and not do the other. We're supposed to deeply desire to proclaim the glory of God to everyone. Bid them to come and join us as becoming worshipers. A hundred years ago, there was this thing called the layman's missionary movement. Layman, if you're not familiar with that term, it just means non-clergy. It means non-minister. So you, unless you're a minister, it's, it's everybody. And if you notice, if we were to count up uh, ministers just at Remedy and layman, there would be one, two, and then a whole lot more, right? So two versus the, the church there's a whole lot more possibilities of work to reach the nations with y'all. So the reaching of the nations and the proclaiming of the gospel and making of disciples can't just be to the ministers because we're, we're far outpopulated compared to the rest of the church. And so it seemingly would be that if the, the church is also doing this, there's greater possibility for, for the nations being reached. And so this layman's missionary movement happened. Um, and this, this man, his name's J. Campbell White, he was writing about Layman. So I'm calling you as layman to be involved in the, the missionary movement across the entire earth. And this happened 100 years ago. It was, it was layman missionary movement. It wasn't pastors getting layman going. They started it. And this is what he wrote. Whenever I told you that, that restlessness that you have and that you try to f- fulfill it with, I don't know, Netflix or your phone or games, and all of a sudden you still as a Christian don't ever feel fulfilled? This is what he says. Most men are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers except the adoption of Christ's Christ's purpose towards the world, towards the nations that he came to redeem. So that restlessness will only find its rest in making disciples of the nations. It finds it in Christ. By making disciples of the nations. Fame, pleasure, riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of his eternal plans. Making disciples of the nations. The men who are putting everything into Christ's undertaking are getting out of life. Listen, this is what every one of us want. Getting out of life its sweetest and most priceless rewards. We want to. I don't want to get at the end of my life and look back at my life and say, oh, all the things I could have done for Jesus. But life's a vapor and it's a mist and it's over and I, I didn't do anything. I don't want that. And I don't want that for you. And I don't believe any of us want to get back, get to the end of our life and say, oh, there's just so many things I could have done, but I just didn't. And so we're calling the nations to join us as worshipers. God is reminding us that the nations Calling us to the nations is not supposed to make you feel exhausted. Like, oh my goodness, another thing on the list I got to do for God? Just so many things that just feel exhausted. Instead, him telling us about the nations is not supposed to cause you to feel, cause, uh, cause you to feel exhausted, but instead exhilarated. That you get to fulfill, you are going to get the sweetest and most priceless rewards out of your life by fulfilling what the Lord has called you to do. Now, I'm going to get to the good news of how that can still even be done here. But there's one other thing I want you to see. There's three things. Three things that Christians should be doing. I got to get some water. You can go ahead and put up number three. Christians are to warn the nations of the coming judgment. So 
We narrate the great deeds that the Lord has done. We call them to become worshipers. But there's also, there is also a warning of coming judgment. You can see it in 4b. Four, I'll just do 4 through 5. For the Lord is great, greatly to be praised. He is to be feared. Why is he to be feared? Because coming judgment is coming. Judgment of what? Feared above all gods. All little case gods. There's one God, capital G, and there's a whole bunch of little case gods. And if you worship any of these, then you should be fearing the one God. Why? For all the gods of the peoples of the nations, whether they're Buddhists or Muslims or animists or atheists, or they worship themselves, whatever it is, if it's not Christ, all those gods are worthless idols. They're pointless. They're worthless. They waste their time. They pull their mind away from Christ and keep the blinders on to who Christ is and will bring them to eventually eternal condemnation. We, we have to be bold enough to tell people that. It's the ultimate act of love. If someone's standing in the road and going to get hit by a car, it's not loving to just watch them get hit by the car and be like, well, I didn't want to offend them. Instead, we go and we yank them out of the road and say, don't go to hell eternally. Let me tell you, the most loving thing you can do is let them know that their little case, little G God is worthless idols. Because the Lord, Yahweh, he made the heavens. So whoever makes the heavens where God resides, that's the true one. That's the point he's saying. And these little case gods didn't make the heavens. Yahweh, God, Jesus Christ is the one who made the heavens. So we have to warn them of the judgment. 10b, it says, yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Or literally, he will judge the people in righteousness. Calvin has a precious insight to what that means when he says, judge the people in righteousness. He's not just talking about their outward deeds. That's mostly what we think. He's going to judge them on what they do. He says this, the righteousness which the Lord judges is not merely outward actions. Instead, it comprehends a new heart. So the Lord's ultimate judgment of righteousness is their heart. Have they been given a new heart? Has the old heart of stone been replaced with the new stone, new heart of flesh? It comprehends a new heart, commencing as it does to the regeneration of the spirit by which we are formed again into the likeness of God. Therefore, this judgment of righteousness is not on your outward actions, but instead has the righteousness of Christ been applied to you because you've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, trusting Christ, and now you have been given a new heart. You are now a new man. You are now a new creation, a kine katissus, as it says in the Greek, a new creation. And we are judged on that. And we need to tell them that this impending judgment is coming. This is something likely that they don't know. They have been blinded to it. That's why we must go and tell them. Whenever I was at Charleston Southern University, I know I refer to it, but I had a great time when I was there. Whenever I was at CSU, um, back a long time ago, this was uh, 90, I don't know, seven, something like that. Um, <clears throat> it's a pretty large campus, but there's this one place where the football field is, and I don't know about now, but in that particular time, you could walk on the football field at night. It didn't matter. And so, um, highway one, I think it's 178 or something like that is, is back then it wasn't too traveled. Now it's crazy. The stuff everywhere is, you know, here's Charleston Southern exit 205. Here's the road. Here's the little football field right across the street. There was only one thing. It was a gas station, a shell station. It was open all the time because it was right across from the college. So you, you could go at 3 a.m. and get a solid hot dog. You know, it was one of those like on the little Turner things and it's pink, you know, and you're like, should I eat this? But I'm so hungry and I'm in college and I'm poor and it's, it's, 17 cents. So I need three. You know, it was one of those kinds of things. So it was always open. So we would go um, to this little field and we, we did this a couple of times. We, there's this, you know, straight shot, great view to the, to the shell station. And we're about a hundred yards away. And so what we decided to do is, you know, these balloon launchers, they're amazing, by the way. You, you, they're so strong. One guy has to stand here like this, and the other guy has to stand here like this, and then you get the middle, and you pull it down, and literally, these things can shoot like 100 yards. You put the water balloon in there, whoosh, and it just shoots. And so we thought it'd be awesome um, and fun to, to get that launcher and shoot water balloons at the shell station at the people pumping their gas. Um, and it was awesome, and it was fun. And so, it, I mean, we, we, we you know, Army crawled up the, up the thing, get, getting as low as he can. We're, and it's just pitch black dark in this little football field area. And we see them. It's so bright. They can't see us, and we can see them. And we're, you know, 
And so, it, I mean, it's as fun as you sound watching these things, these balloons sail across. And, you know, the guy's pumping their gas and they're like, balloons are hitting everywhere. And you're like, like where'd that come from? I mean, the, the idea, I mean, it's as funny as you can think. The guy has literally no clue where water balloons are coming from. They're just, wham! I mean, we got really close. I think we hit one of the cars. No dents or anything. Um, but we were hitting. And so, basically what's happening is, coming judgment is sailing in and... <laughs> And raining down all around them, but literally no idea where it's coming from. And in a similar way, much more so, actual eternal life is at stake for them. So the, in the same way where coming judgment's coming from and they have no idea, it would have been more biblical if we had driven across the street and say, it was us, it was coming on you. And so we want to let you know where it's coming from. Um, it, that would have been more biblical. But what this text is saying is this coming judgment is coming to them. It's going to rain down on them. And they have no idea about it. And they have no idea where it's coming from. So we as Christians need to go and warn the nations. Judgment's coming. This is much more important. This isn't water balloons hitting you. Instead, this is eternal life is at stake for them. And they will perish eternally unless we go and tell them. And tell them of what the Lord has done and call them to come and join us as worshipers. So if we're going to take theme one, the nations, and try to have a conclusion statement. If you don't write down anything about the nations, write down this. Psalm 96 is telling us that God has made every single Christian alive for his global purposes. Every single Christian alive has been made for global purposes. You've been created to do a huge task. And you will be restless until you join in. Now, I said there was some good news. For those people like, I live in Lancaster. I ain't never leaving. Um, here's the good news. God is bringing the nations to us because we live in a smaller world and people are going everywhere. The nations are literally coming to us. So you don't have to travel to Afghanistan or Iraq or in, God might be calling you and you do have to go if God's calling you, all right? But the nations are coming to us. We've got a community group that has adopted the internationals at Winthrop. And they literally have an opportunity. I think it's 100 states or 100 countries represented at this group. They go, they have, if they never get to spend $2,500 and go to, you know, the Horn of Africa, there's people that are there in the internationals and you can tell them. And whether those internationals stay in America or not, they always go back. They always go visit. And so you tell them, they come to Christ. They become the missionary to go back over to India and they tell their family, and they'll do it much better because they're indigenous. They'll tell them the gospel, and now you have indirectly created a missionary for you to go tell people about Christ. So the nations, the good news is that the nations are coming to us. So what does that mean then? Because you still have to declare the glory of God, narrate the gospel to them, call them to be worshipers, and warn them of judgment. It means this, and this is the hard work. If a missionary goes overseas, he's got to learn the language, learn the culture, etc. Because the nations are coming to us, you still have to do that hard work. They probably speak English. So you might have to learn their language. But you still have to learn their culture. You still have to learn their idols. You still have to learn how the gospel in their culture can be most clearly explained. So... Every Christian still, I mean, listen, you can't just go next door to the easy white people. Every Christian, you still have to do that if they're unbelievers. But every international here, we're still called to them as well. Go, sin, pray, give money. Those are the things that we're to do. You still have to do the hard work of learning their culture. But the good news is that they're coming here. The world's getting smaller and we have the opportunity to never leave the states and do international missions all the time. That's, a, that's, that's astounding. That's a new day. That's a brand new day. Now, there's still seven or 3,000, 4,000 unreached, and some of those people aren't coming to here, and people will have to go to those particular countries. And maybe the Lord's calling you. Maybe that restlessness is like, I've got to go. My life must be spent to tell them. And that's, that's awesome that the Lord will be calling you. We want we want people to do that. 
That's the first theme in Psalm 96 is the nations. There is a second theme that's in here, and it's singing. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Declare his glory. So we would, we would assume that the declaration of telling of the glory and telling people about the marvelous works would be done with singing, not just language and conversation, but singing as well. The second theme, flying like a banner over Psalm 96 on the emphasis of nations, flying over it is this emphasis on singing. We are told to sing to the whole earth about Christ. So there's two ways I want you to think about, these won't be on the screen, but there's two ways I want you to think about singing. First is what we would all guess, singing as worship. We are called to sing as worship, meaning we as believers need to worship the Lord in singing, whether it's corporately here in the room, privately, putting on CDs at our house, semi-privately, you know, in your car or whatever. Don't just sing Christian songs or say it this way. Don't just sing praises to Jesus only here. You're not fulfilling that if you literally sing praises to Jesus 15 minutes a week. Because <laughs> that's about as long as all the songs last here on Sunday mornings. Instead, fill your heart and mind with praises. If it's a cappella or you don't like anything on iTunes, at your home sing praises to Jesus. In your car, we all need it in our car whenever people won't drive. <laughs> like, I will, if I'm not singing praises, I'm going to get it on this person. So we all need like, to be constantly fulfilling this by singing worship. And what kind of songs are we singing? Look what it says. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. I mean, every wor worship leaders are like, yes, new song. Because I, mean, I don't know if you've ever been at any kind of church for an extended period of time. But almost monthly, the worship leader is going to say, I want to teach you a new song. And you're all like, man, I don't even know the ones we have. You can teach me a new one. What he is being, new songs are great. And that worship leader is being quite biblical. This isn't just one time in the Bible. Psalm 96. Let me read it to you. Psalm 33, 3. Sing to the Lord a new song. Psalm 43. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, which we just read in Psalm 96, 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. 98, 1. Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Psalm 144, 9. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a 10 string harp, I will play to you. That must have been the jam back then, the 10 string harp. 149, Psalm 149, 1. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Isaiah 42.10. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the end of the earth. Even in the New Testament we have singing of songs. Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another. How am I supposed to let... To, to memorize and meditate on God's word so much that whenever I have it in my mind and I'm going to teach in my, the admonition words that I use towards other people, it says singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. I've memorized and meditated on the word so much that whenever it's time for me to admonish and teach people that we would actually do it with singing songs and hymns and other spiritual songs. Now, you don't want me to sing for you, but Jordan will soon, and we will all join in together, and we will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Almost exact same verse says it in Ephesians 5, 19. We address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Literally, addressing one another in songs. I mean, I don't know if you just have conversations that are sung to each other. It's not like a mu life is a musical, but at the same time, Ephesians 5, 19 says to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and to the Lord, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. So there's ample texts that help us see that when we talk about singing, singing is supposed to be worship. And if we're going to reach back to that other theme of the nations and call them to sing to the Lord all the earth, how are you going to call them to sing if you're not singing? So... We as believers, if we're going to call the nations to sing with us, must be singing. It's not like, well, I'm not really much of a singer, but you come sing because I don't. It, like, that's not, that's not the, the way it's supposed to work. Instead, we're calling them to sing with us. We're summoning the nations to come join us in singing. So what do I mean by that when I say, on the face, I mean exactly what you think I'm saying. We're literally told to sing to God new songs. Over and over in the Psalms, we're told this. And so corporately, privately, semi-corporately, we are to be the kind of people that sing. Now, I know when we started in BCM, 
six years ago and we were in that room and we sing on there on Wednesdays. That room's awesome. It's like super loud and no one can hear me sing and the acoustics are awesome. And so that's where I sing is when the acoustics are good and no one hears me. God, God isn't saying um, what, where we're supposed to, it doesn't matter if the room has good acoustics or bad acoustics, if it's an echoey gym or you've got stone walls that just eat everything and everybody hears you sing. Like whatever the room that you're in, outdoor air, it doesn't matter. We are commanded to sing. Sing, sing as worship. That's the first thing that we want to know or that the Lord wants us to know is that we are commanded to sing. But the other side is singing as mission. So what that means is if we're going to call the nations to come sing with us, but we're also going to sing to them and declare his glory among the nations, we're going to proclaim his marvelous works. This means our calling of the nations to them means that our, I'll say it this way, our life over and over and over, day by day, must be dominated by the worship of God. That we want to spend our lives worshiping. And as we are dominated and spending our lives worshiping, when they see that, then they'll join in with us in being singers or worshipers of God. So singing as mission, or I should say it this way maybe, worship as mission. Making disciples happens, mission happens when your life is worship. And as you worship, the nations see that. Your neighbors see that. Your community group sees that. Your workmates see that. Your roommates see that. And you're living out the mission of God even by just being a worshiper. Why would we do that? Verse 4, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. That's why. Verse 6, because splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. He is so worthy of your worship. That's why you would do it. So if we're going to put all these things together, we're called to the nations and we're called to sing, which means that the undergirding of all this is life as worship. And life as worship is expressed by reaching the nations. We're going to put those two themes together. So what does that mean then? This is what it means. You need to beg the Lord to give you a deep love for the nations. Just at, You might not have it. And I'm not condemning you by not having it. I'm not make it, trying to make you feel bad. I'm just saying every Christian should have this. And if you don't, just beg the Lord to give it to you. God, just honest, I don't have it. I, I've been so isolated or it's never been, never, that's never been presented to me. So give me, God, a deep desire to reach the nations. It sounds like I don't even have to leave South Carolina. They're all over. The nations are here. So God, give me a deep desire. In other words, care. Just care. Care to reach the nations. And then as you do that, sing or worship the Lord by declaring his good news, declaring what he's done, and calling people to come to you. And the last, come, into, come to Christ. And the last thing I want to say is this, is just as you do that, as you call people to Christ and warn them of the impending judgment, um, continue to live your life with them as a worshiper of God. If the Lord has given you people that you can make disciples of, conversion, mere conversion is not the goal. It doesn't say in Matthew 28, go out and convert everybody. It says make disciples. Teaching them to obey or observe all that I've commanded. And so that takes time. The making of disciples, I mean, it took Jesus three years and they were with him every day. Making of a disciple takes a long time. So we want to make disciples. I'll conclude with this. And this is Revelation 5. And I, this is just amazing. This is the new heavens and the new earth. This is what it says. Beautifully fitting with Psalm 96. And in heaven, and the new heavens and the new earth, you know what they did? They sang a new song. So yes, even in heaven, new songs. Obviously the words have been written. The music, I guess, has not been written yet. Um, but here is the new song. And they sang a new song saying, 
Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language. That's the nations. And people and nations. So we know the Lord wants everybody from every nation there. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. He's like, that song doesn't rhyme, because we're probably not going to sing it in English in, 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 in heaven. That's why. It'll probably rhyme in whatever language we're singing, right? Because Heaven is not going to be us in English. It's going to be vastly diverse, beautifully diverse. And we're going to sing this song, worth among many, this new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood, this is what Christ did, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Beautiful. Just beautiful. So, as we go into a time of worship now, let's sing. I mean, really sing. Let's give God the glory that he's due. Let's ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, as it tells us to do in verse 7 and 8. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for Christ. We're so grateful for psalms like this that open up our eyes to truths that are thousands of years old. That you've always had a deep desire for the nations. And you've created us as worshiping beings. So be with us now as we worship. May our worship not just happen here, but instead drive us, push us, spill out of these doors into our roads, spill out of these doors into our city. And God, may we reach the nations. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all the ethne, all the ethnic groups, and then the end will come. Lord, that could happen in our lifetime. If all the Christians took up the task, didn't push away that restlessness, but instead took on the task of reaching the nations, three billion people could be reached in our lifetime. We pray for that, God. We pray that we are worshipers and that worship calls the nations to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.